yes, you're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, February the 25th in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at the last Sunday in the Epiphany, which is Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration, first of all, if one takes a look at what it means in the Greek, it's the word metamorphosis. And you know what that refers to? A caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It is really a symbol also for Easter resurrection because we're put into the ground after we die most times in a burial. But when we are raised from the dead on Judgment Day, we will have our new body. And so it's very like a caterpillar, which doesn't look like a butterfly at all, and then becomes a butterfly. I was listening to a scientific explanation of that as to how a caterpillar, once it goes into a cocoon, becomes a butterfly. I was really surprised at what was being said because they have taken a look at what is happening in the cocoon, and it kind of is just a liquid. And it's not like the caterpillar gets wings or things like that and still remains a caterpillar, but it really is a great change, a metamorphosis. And that is what has happened on Transfiguration Sunday of our Lord. Now... Some churches celebrate transfiguration in the summer, but in the Western church, it's mainly the last Sunday of the Epiphany. It's found in Luke chapter 9. Now, Luke chapter 9 has quite a few things that are really important. This is the chapter in which Jesus feeds 5,000 men. It's also the chapter where he asks, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answered, well, John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. At that time, Jesus also foretells his death. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, Luke doesn't give Peter's response, namely, no, that won't happen to you, Lord. We will protect you. And Jesus' response to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. But then the very next section is, if anyone would come after me, says Jesus, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, of course, that's judgment day. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And, of course, we believe he's referring here to the great Pentecost experience when the Holy Spirit is given to many. It's at that point where we go into the transfiguration. 
And the reason I did that is because here's how it begins in verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Now, why eight days? It's just speculation, but there are a couple of interesting things involved in eight days. The first one is that was the circumcision of male children on the eighth day. The other one is Easter is actually the eighth day of Holy Week because it begins on Palm Sunday, goes seven days where he's in the grave on Saturday, and then he rises from the dead on the eighth day on Sunday. But at any rate, this indicates an important action is going to be taking place. And he takes with him Peter, John, and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, the word departure is actually a translation of the word exodus. Moses and Elijah were talking about Jesus' exodus from the world. And how is that going to occur? Well, he would die on the cross, he would be raised from the dead, he would then be ascended into heaven. Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah? Many a time when we're talking about the New Testament books, we talk about the gospel and the epistles. That's kind of a division. The four gospels and then the rest of the New Testament are kind of letters about what happened in the church and from various apostles. The Old Testament books were divided into law and the prophets. And therefore, Moses, of course, was the writer of the five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Elijah would therefore represent the prophets. And there they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, was that really Moses and Elijah? I have no doubts that it was. Because they appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. How did they know about that? Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they may have been given access to Jesus himself saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised, which he had just said eight days before the transfiguration. Or, remember, when Elijah and Moses died, they were now in heaven. And it is between the time of their death and judgment day that they would be in the spirit. 
And Moses, we know when he died, because it's the Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy chapter 34. He died in the land of Moab because the Lord said when Moses was looking over the land that they were to receive, God said, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. And the reason that God did not permit him to go into the promised land is because he had not kept the word of God in the hitting of a rock with water coming out. At any rate, he was 120 years old when he died. And it says, this is kind of interesting, that no one even up to this day, that would be the day that he was uh, buried, no one knows the place of his burial to this day. So he definitely was buried. Now, Elijah, remember, ascended into heaven. Uh, with, with a chariot of fire and such. But Moses had been brought back to earth during the time of the transfiguration to discuss with Elijah about the departure of Jesus that would be accomplished at Jerusalem. So what was the result on the part of the apostles? Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, so they probably climbed up the mountain. Jesus was praying. In fact, it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And we know there's going to be another occasion when they fall asleep in Jesus' Garden of Gethsemane that he's praying there. And the disciples fall asleep and then Jesus is arrested. But at this particular episode, although they were heavy with sleep, they became fully awake when they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And I'm sure they were hearing what they were saying. And as the men were parting from him, that means Moses and Elijah now were leaving, Peter says, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And then immediately Luke says, not knowing what he said. Now, that either means that Peter wanted temporary shelters and definitely wanted to keep the mountaintop experience going. It also could mean that a tent, of course, was used as a worship place when they went through the wilderness. And was he talking about getting three worship places, one for each of them? It's very clear, not knowing what he was saying. He really hadn't understood the appearance of Moses and Elijah properly. You know, this is really important to understand. 
that many of the experiences the disciples had really did not come to a full understanding because they were sometimes arguing with Jesus or arguing among themselves until after his resurrection and particularly after the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. And then they remembered these things, but with a proper understanding. And that came about because even the two disciples on the road to Emmaus were really ignorant as to the purpose of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and he had to explain that to them. But while he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a cloud with a wicked weather pattern. Maybe it's a tornado or if you've been in a hurricane or something along these lines. But you can see how people become very afraid when it becomes dark. And this cloud reminds us of another cloud that was used by God. In fact, it was God's presence as he led his people through the wilderness during the daytime. And then it was a pillar of fire at night. So this is obviously God the Father. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The Father here is definitely making it known that Jesus is his son. And this was from before the creation of the world. And he was appointed to bear the world's sins on the cross. In fact, listen to him is an echo from Deuteronomy 18.19, confirming that Jesus is the long-expected prophet like Moses. So this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. We've been talking a lot about how there are different kinds of sermons that really are not sermons. We've talked about topical sermons. We've talked about self-help sermons. We've talked about exegetical sermons that explain a text with some great insights. But what is a true sermon is when the people in the pews are attacked or most people like to say when they're accused of breaking what the sermon is talking about. Yesterday's sermon that I uh, delivered, I was talking about an incident with Joseph. And he made himself known to his brothers in Egypt. They, They did not recognize him, obviously, because it had been some time. Plus, he was wearing royal clothing. He was second in command in Egypt at that time. And when he announced that he was Joseph, it says the brothers were unable to talk to him. They were in despair. And the reason for that is, 
as Joseph himself mentions, he had been sold into slavery by his brothers. Gone to Egypt, had that terrible situation with Potiphar's wife, had been in jail, and now had become second in command. So they expected that Joseph was going to get even with them for what they had done. But instead, Joseph says that you did not send me to Egypt. God took me to Egypt. And so the point I was making was a very simple one. And the question of the sermon, I always have a question in the sermon, if I can use it properly, is, is God responsible for what happens in your life? even the bad things? And the answer to that is yes. And the reason I say yes is very simple. If God isn't responsible for what happens in your life, who is? If you say, well, I'm responsible because of my sin, well, the problem with that is that even when you sin, God wills or permits that to occur. For example, I had uh, one individual as they were leaving the church saying, well, God is responsible, but he's not the one who should be blamed, is it? And I said, well, let me show you something. And I lifted my arm and I said, who is responsible for my ability to lift my arm up in the air right now? And they got the point. God's responsible. In fact, Joseph's faith was so strong that he believed that even when he was attacked, when he was persecuted, when he was sold into slavery, it was God who was doing and allowing these things to occur because of a bigger purpose. In fact, at the end of Jacob's life, the brothers, again, are afraid that Joseph is going to get even with them. And what does he say at that point? He says, you meant it for evil, what you did to me, but God used it for good. What a faith to have. And the point of the sermon was, there is nothing that is happening in your life that God is not responsible for in the sense that he permits it and always, Romans eight twenty eight kicks in, that it's always for your good. Now, sometimes you can see the good, sometimes you cannot. For example, I had hopes and plans in one area of life that didn't come to fruition. But as I look back over it, I see that God had better plans than were my hopes and plans for the future. So this is how the Christian's attitude has toward God when we believe his promises. His promises are always sure. And why do we have promises? Because not only do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not only do we believe that he's the chosen one who came to die on the cross for our sins, but we also believe we're to listen to him. 
What a wonderful Bible study that would have been on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples, where it appears that Jesus went through many passages in the Old Testament, all pointing to him as the center point of the Bible. And that's why I mentioned you've got a lot of sermons these days that really don't talk about the listening to Jesus. We first listen to where he accuses us of falling short of proper faith. Because how many of us realize that whatever happens to us, God is responsible for it? We will blame someone else. We'll blame the conditions. But God will not let anything happen to you that he doesn't work out to your good. Now, a lot of times we can't figure out what is that good. But that doesn't mean he's not doing it. So God the Father says, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And he was found alone in the sense the father was gone, Moses was gone, and Elijah was gone. Now, the three disciples were still there. But the last verse is interesting. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And you can imagine or understand why. Jesus was determined to die on the cross. But there were a number of times when he did not want to do something to make that happen earlier than it was expected to happen. For example, in Cana, when his mother talks about, boy, we're short on wine, Jesus mentions, well, it's not my time yet, you know, as a reason for perhaps not listening to her at the beginning. Because he knew when he tells others that he heals, don't go tell anyone that I've healed you. And you're wondering, why is he saying those things? Because the he knew very well from the Old Testament that the leaders in Judaism at that time would become so angry that they would maybe put him to death prematurely. And maybe by a way that was not indicated by the scripture, pierced in hands and feet, uh, whipped on the shoulders. In other words, they kept quiet until after his resurrection. And then they were able to use these events as the evidence that he truly was the Messiah. There's no evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. There's no evidence that he's God. There's no evidence that we are to listen to him except the Word of God. Reason never would lead anyone to believe in Jesus Christ because what he says, what he does, is totally unreasonable. It only is accepted by those who have been given proper faith by the Holy Spirit. It's a very important point to remember. Uh, I know a lot of times somebody will say something against God's word and you'll reply to them with God's word and at first it'll appear, oh, I, I don't believe that. 
But the more they hear God's word, it's through the hearing of the word that the Holy Spirit creates faith. And so we as Christians have one task in bringing another person to faith. And there's two parts to that task. Number one, listen to him, namely his word in Scripture. And then number two, share it with those who have a need to hear it as they remain in the darkness of unbelief. The transfiguration of our Lord, the ending of the Epiphany season, and you know what's going to start next week on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, the Lenten season. More on that later. On the next Law and Gospel, we're going to be examining the hymn selected for the transfiguration of our Lord. And the title is, O Wondrous Type, O Vision Fair. Now, what does the word type mean? Is Jesus just a type or is there more to it? We'll take a look at that at the next Law and Gospel. That'll be Rumination Tuesday. God bless. The Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.